Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Val Hart, the real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm talking with Dr. Mark Newkirk. He is the owner of Newkirk Family Veterinarians. They have offices in Egg Harbor Township, and has been taking care of all of our wonderful pets, including exotic pets, in southern New Jersey since 1981. Part of his story is that roundabout in 1995, Dr. Newkirk slowly came to realize that he, like most veterinarians today, had a population of pets in his practice who either lived on steroids and or antibiotics or seemed to never quite get better. And no matter what specialists the pets saw, overall they just didn't improve. And so that began Dr. Newkirk's journey to discover alternative solutions to chronic disease problems. Now Dr. Newkirk is known nationally for his work in alternative medicine. He writes for national publications such as the Animal Wellness Magazine. He has his own radio show and an ever-growing list of patients who have been able to stop the steroid and antibiotic merry-go-round and have actually gotten significantly better. Today his practice includes the use of therapeutic lasers, alternative allergy therapies, and alternative cancer treatments. He also offers chiropractic, homeopathy, herbal therapies, and aquapuncture. Very interesting. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mark. Well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me on. You're welcome. I'm delighted to have you. Dr. Mark, I want to ask you before we get started here, what in the world made you decide to be a vet? Well, actually, uh, I wanted to be a veterinarian, I thought, from age 12, and I wrote wow. all of the doctors in the area and said, hey, uh, I want to be a veterinarian to have a job, and, and no one answered me except one doctor, and he said, well, I don't have a position this summer, but, you know, write me again next summer, and I did, mm. and that turned out to actually be a job as a kennel boy at the Margate Animal Hospital, Oh wow! which fast-forwarding... Uh, through my young adult life in college, uh, then I bought and started practice there in 1981. Oh, my God. Full circle. Full circle. So, I love uh, that. That's so yeah, much fun. It was great. And then uh, <clears throat> the doctor who was kind enough to get me started, he uh, semi-retired, and he worked for me for a while. So it was a great uh, <laughs> local boy makes good story. You know? I love that. That is so fun. I, and I love that even at 12 years old, you were so... Focus and connected with animals. I know you had to have had wonderful animals in your life that helped you get there. 
um, helped you helped encourage you to want to go that way. Was there an animal in specific that made you decide you wanted to be a vet? Um, we always had Labrador retrievers growing up, and they always had puppies, and it just became one of these. Uh, I was, of course, the older son, and at seven or eight years old, it was the my job, of course, to clean up all the mess after the puppies. <laughs> but I got to play with puppies every day, and I thought this would be a pretty cool job, you know. Yeah, I love that. Nothing like puppies to make your heart sing and to inspire and... Uh, they're just so wonderful. Ah, so you were raised, instead of being raised by wolves, you were raised by labs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into our topic, uh, at least a big part of it, which is what is the difference between holistic medicine for pets and complementary medicine for pets? Well, holistic medicine or alternative medicine would be just the strict use of uh, alternative herbs or techniques in in helping the pet to get better and I do have clients that that is all that they want but I think the most important point here is to remember that not all things in traditional medicine are bad it's often the overuse of traditional medicine and drugs that creates a problem and or in many cases there isn't anything in traditional medicine to help Mm -hmm. so I coined the term complementary medicine to say I'm going to take the best of traditional medicines because sometimes uh, steroids are needed, for example. Mm -hmm. But we also then bring in the best of alternative medicine and we treat the animal both ways. Uh The goal being at some point to hopefully stop the dependency on the drugs Mm -hmm. and either affect the cure with alternative medicine or manage the animal's allergy or diarrhea or whatever mm-hmm. uh, with alternative medicine only. Mm-hmm. So it's it's getting the best of both worlds. It's just kind of like having more tools in my toolbox to help your pet. Awesome. Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, you know, I always think of allopathic medicine as being more about crisis. You know, it's, it's the... You know, it does a great job of crisis management. I don't know that it does that good a job for chronic problems or prevention, perhaps. Um, exactly. You know, am I on the right track thinking that, or would you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Suppose your pet gets hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Well, the traditional uh, medicines of, of steroids to prevent shock and antibiotics for infection and intravenous fluid therapy Mm-hmm. Uh, that's needed at that Critical. point. Critical, yeah. But if that animal, uh, so supposing that the animal is fine, then in uh, four or five days, okay, everything works great. Mm-hmm. But now suppose the animal has a chronic joint issue after that. Yeah. Uh, that's where alternative medicine comes in because you, you don't want your pet living on a chronic dose of of high steroids or other pain medicines if there are other ways to help this animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So you mentioned a moment ago about traditional medicine or allopathic uh, kind of medicine. The problem we get into is an overuse situation. Let's talk about that a minute. And I know vaccination might come under that topic. Well, what happens in traditional medicine and, and I practiced this way, too, for the first 15 years I came out of school. Mm 
And I think it's important for listeners to understand that as veterinarians, we were once students uh, sitting in a classroom uh, learning from the professor who was, uh, you know, the god at that point. And we had to learn that stuff and repeat it back on a test so we could pass. And it's the same as any of your listeners who are in any profession. And so if your profession, if any of your listeners are a, a lawyer or <clears throat> a teacher, well, they came out of school and they basically repeated what they were taught and grew their business or their profession. Well, veterinarians are doing the same exact thing. So the problem comes is that alternative medicine isn't even mentioned in veterinary school. So it's really an individual's realization, as it came to me, that there are animals that in my practice would come in and they'd say, well, he's about the same doc, and I would think in my brain, well, what's the next drug I can try? Or, hey, there's a new drug that came out. Let's try this. Mm -hmm. And we ended up going around in that same merry-go-round. Or, you know, I'd get a second or a third opinion case, and I'd look at all the drugs, and I would think in my mind, well, everything's been tried. I really don't have another drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we would end up not helping that patient. So yeah. now, as I've learned alternative medicine, where I used to maybe not like to see that second or third opinion, now I love to see those because mm-hmm. I truly have options that not only potentially work, but we can get this animal better and get them off the drug merry-go-round. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That makes so much sense, and I think, you know, like you were talking about, the the student in the classroom tends to, you know, the teacher has all the authority, the professor, you know, that, like you said, they're they're the god because they exactly. have to pass or fail. You know, our life depends on how well we parrot back what they teach us and, what you know, that we learn what they're trying to teach us. Um, and so I think we can all probably relate to that. I mean, I think we still, a lot of us carry that forward when we go see our vet, you know, so uh, we sort of think that they're now the god. You know, they hold our animal's life in their hands, um, in effect, and um, and so we need to be asking questions, and we need to um, to keep looking for answers when we don't, uh, when we aren't coming up with what we need, you know, to have happen. Uh, so yeah, and that's important, advocate. too. Uh, yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> my best clients, in my opinion, are the ones that come in with the questions, yeah. because once they understand what it is we're trying to do, then my job actually becomes easier. So I would rather take more time on a first visit and answer 15 questions mm-hmm. than for me to be talking and talking. And I can see, especially with alternative medicine, mm-hmm. yeah, because people, most many people don't understand it. So I'm talking and I'm seeing it's just going right over their head, you know. Mm, yeah. And uh, if they ask, start asking questions, then we we have a good common ground there, and we can work together yeah. to help the animal. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So let's talk about vaccination. Why is this an issue? Well, holistic veterinarians firmly believe that it's the over-vaccination of animals that is underlying many of our chronic diseases. Okay. The problem is is one that because the traditional method of investigation 
doesn't prove a causal relationship between A and B, mm-hmm. that, again, the powers that be out there are saying, well, uh, it's safe. But what people have to understand is that the universities, of which there are only 24 in the entire country, mm-hmm. they're they're not studying the negative effects of vaccines so much as they are studying, hey, let's find a cure for heart disease or diabetes or, you know, cancer. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is the majority of the research is being done by the pharmaceutical companies uh-huh. whose role is to sell vaccine. Right. So they're not going to do a bunch of research that proves, oh, hey, that vaccine you were giving once every year, oh, that's good for 10 years now. Uh, and, you know, they're going to cut their percent. They're not going to do that. Yeah. The other point is that I do believe that some vaccination uh, in early stages to help the immune system is worthwhile. The problem comes in is that not every dog should get the same amount of vaccine Mm. and not every dog should get the same antigens uh, as are sort of put together by the vaccine manufacturers. So just as one quick example, if you have a hunting dog, Labrador, he's going to be out potentially facing uh, wild animals or other diseases that are in the wild. Mm -hmm. So this is a dog that probably should have Lyme vaccine, for example, Mm -hmm. where if we have a little poodle that's in a high rise in the city and probably his feet never touch the ground, uh, there's no reason to vaccinate that dog for Lyme disease. The chances of encountering a tick in that environment that happens to be infected with Lyme disease mm-hmm. is pretty small. Mm-hmm. So why vaccinate this dog with extra vaccine? Yeah. And then part two is to why blatantly just revaccinate every single year with the same thing. We have the technology now to do what are called vaccine titer tests. Okay. And Talk, you tell can, us about that. So a vaccine titer test is basically just a blood test that measures the level of immunity to the vac- to the virus in your dog, so and and your cat as well. So for example, uh, let's say your dog is three or four years old. I'm going to start talking to you about vaccination titers mm-hmm. because probably 95% of animals are immune by that age. Mm-hmm. So we draw blood, and let's just say if I make this up on a scale of 1 to 10, anything over 5 is protected. So your dog comes back at a 7, mm-hmm. and I say, your dog, the immune system has reacted to this vaccine the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. and is at level 7, and is protected, and we do not need to give a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Now let's just say that five years later, we do the blood test, and the vaccine comes back at level three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we say, well, your dog is below the minimum vaccine level. Mm-hmm. We now can prove that the dog really is not protected. Mm-hmm. We want the dog protected, okay. assuming that it's a dog that's going to potentially come uh, upon this disease. And now we go ahead and vaccinate them, but we've just prevented five years of over-vaccination. Wow. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. 
Uh, we're finding many animals are going out seven, eight years now before we have to revaccinate. So, okay. uh, and that's the majority of the animals. It's it's not like oh, one here, one there. That's the majority, which basically means the majority of animals in the country are getting way too much vaccine. Yeah. And we know that the job of the vaccine is to stimulate the immune system to create a reaction. Well, if you continue to create this reaction and the reaction is getting bigger and bigger because you're giving more vaccine that the animal doesn't need, it's not too far a hop to think, well, if now the immune system is being overstimulated, this can cause allergy, it can cause uh, all kinds of secondary problems. Mm-hmm. But until the university comes out and says, okay, if you give uh, three too many vaccines, for example, uh, this happens. If you get five, this happens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they're just not going to put the money into that, and neither are the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, well, it would not be in their best interest to do so. Exactly. Yeah, so we have to always look to that. Um, that's just a fundamental fact, you know. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I know that... Um, Autoimmune problems, like you said, allergies, um, I think chronic inflammation is another issue that comes from a vaccination problem. Yes. Uh, are there other uh, problems that we should be aware of? So if we know that our animal has this kind of a problem, we can better know where a source of that might be coming from? Um, uh, yes, and uh, that brings us into... Um, one of the things that we want to talk about today is alternative mm-hmm. ways to deal with allergy. But okay. here's a very interesting fact for all of your listeners out there. Even on the label, it says, do not, I'm going to paraphrase here, but do not give the vaccine to a dog that is sick. Yeah. And it never, it, it never ceases to amaze me. I'll get a second or a third opinion, and let's say it's a chronic diarrhea or it's a chronic skin case mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll say yeah well, you know and we we go and we try to do everything the doctor says and he's up to date on his vaccines mm-hmm. and i'm looking and i'm saying the dog's been sick for two years with diarrhea by definition that's not a healthy dog mm-hmm. and you're giving the dog vaccine no don't do that mm-hmm. you're stimulating mm-hmm. that uh, inflammation as you said yeah. and is there a link well, oftentimes in alternative medicine, we can determine that there is a link by using muscle testing and uh, other uh, diagnostics like that. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, doing the allergy elimination therapy, we can actually stop that allergic reaction that's going on. Mm-hmm. And what people need to understand is if your dog is not well, do not give him vaccine. Got it. Period. Don't give him vaccine. Thank you for saying that. I you know, I can't tell you how many clients come to me with very, very ill animals who have been ill for a long time and they just got another entire set of vaccinations. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, or or they're they're due for their annuals, you know, coming up and I you know, I have to tell them, you know, please don't do that. Uh, you have to, you know, and, and this is why. I mean, look to the label. It says it right there. And if you're 
if your vet is giving it to your animal anyway, I think you need to ask some questions here. So thank you for bringing that up. Let's talk about the allergies. So why, do you, why is there such an epidemic in allergies right now? Well, holistic vets, including myself, we believe that a big part of this is due to the over-vaccination. Okay. And part two is due to the commercial pet foods that are out there ah. with their either high grain levels and or their levels of additives, preservatives, colors, dyes, etc. Okay. And what people don't understand uh, partly is... You know, in humans, we're going to probably eat something different every single day. But your dog, as long as he eats the food that you put down, this dog is going to eat this for breakfast, lunch, dinner, day after day, week after week, month after month. And if there's a problem in that food, uh, you know, a preservative or something mm-hmm. that's causing a reaction, mm-hmm. you're, you keep feeding the dog what's making the dog sick. Mm. Yep. Now, the problem in traditional medicine is that the food allergy blood tests are not very reliable. Okay, and why is that? Um, because it, the, there are different things to measure in the uh, different antibodies that we measure, and not to get technical, but they're called like IgG, IgM, IgE, and there's a great disparity in the universities out there that say, well, which one really is active in food allergy, Mm -hmm. or is it more than one? And so what happens, depending on the test that you send, if you send to different laboratories, you're going to get different results. Uh. The second part is, is that oftentimes, and we don't know why, but uh, let's say the dog is allergic to chicken, but the blood test will come up negative. Mm-hmm. And so you keep feeding chicken, mm-hmm. and the dog's not getting any better. Wow. And you're saying, look, we did these tests. Well, the the inhalant allergy test, let's make this clear, where we're testing for pollen or ragweed or mold, those are very good. But oh, the food okay. allergy tests are not. Okay. Now, the interesting thing with muscle testing is we can find out what the dog's allergic to in about five minutes. And we have very good results with that. Okay, so let's talk about your process. You use NAET, and I will let you say what that means. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the N is for the doctor's name. Who mm-hmm. discovered this? It's Dr. Nembudrapad. And then the rest is the allergy elimination therapy, so NAET. Okay. If uh, your listeners uh, want to write down a website, just go to vetnaet.com, okay. and it will explain what it is and give you a list of doctors who have been trained in this. Okay. Um, and But basically, it's, it involves two steps. Step one is muscle testing, which finds out, which is simply a matter of a positive, detecting positive or negative energy in the body. Okay. So let's talk about food as an example. If you're taking in a food, let's say chicken, that is uh, healthy to the body, the body is not allergic to that, uh, so then the chicken is absorbed, it gives you energy, so this is a very positive thing. So we'll get a positive uh, muscle response test. If, for example, the chicken happens to be allergic, the body knows this. 
the bot, so when it comes in, the, the brain through the immune system says, whoa, uh, chicken, we're allergic. No, got to get this out of here. Mm-hmm. That is a negative energy. Right, repel. Mm-hmm. So the body, I'm sorry, with muscle testing then, we can pick up the body's positive or negative energy. And we can do that very, very quickly. So we run through the ingredients in food. So we'll go, you know, chicken, beef, lamb, turkey. We'll go through rice, corn, soy, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of animals that are allergic to grain is uh, amazingly high. Mm. So if, if anyone's listening out there and they have an allergy dog, one of the first things you want to do is go to a grain-free food. Okay. Now, that's only part one because let's say you go to grain-free chicken but the dog's allergic to chicken, the dog's going to get somewhat better but not all the way better. Right. But if we find through muscle testing, for example, the dog's allergic to grains and chicken, well, then we say, okay, go to a grain-free fish or a grain-free beef food, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're going to eliminate the food allergies right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what NAET does, that's part two. Okay. So let's assume, like I see many times, the dog's allergic to almost every food on the face of the planet, mm-hmm. which is actually what happened to Dr. Nambudrapad. She became allergic to almost every food out there. And she was a licensed acupuncturist, and a uh, great story on the website of, you know, about how she discovered all this. But okay. basically now, okay, so we found out you're allergic to all these foods. Well, what are you going to eat? So there is a way, and this is the uh, allergy elimination therapy. This is using acupressure techniques in the presence of the antigen to basically turn the brain from seeing this chicken as a negative into a positive, and then you can eat chicken again. Ah, okay. So it changes the body's fundamental reaction and response to a substance, as in this case of food. Uh, Correct. It can also be used in other ways, not just with foods, um, thinking, right? So substances like... um, I don't know, tox- can it be used for toxins or intolerances or other types of problems, environmental things perhaps? Yes. So okay. here's a great place where we use it. Let's say we all know that humans can be allergic to, say, wool or laundry detergent or fabric softener or perfume. Mm-hmm. Well, our animals can too. Ah. The problem is there's no blood test for, let's say, tied laundry detergent. <laughs> okay. So we can find that out, though, through muscle testing. And in, in this case, if it's, uh, if it's a positive, uh, then the body's saying, well, that's okay for me. Tide laundry detergent doesn't bother me. Okay. If it's a negative, then we say, oh, gosh, look, the tide laundry detergent. Well, so the animal's sleeping on your bed or on its blanket and you're washing it in Tide laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. So it's no wonder the dog is scratching all the time. Oh, my God, yeah. So a great uh, value to doing this muscle testing, uh, oftentimes we'll find cats, for example, are allergic to the type of litter that you're using. Ah, good point. Or we'll find cats allergic to um, uh, the, 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 the toys. Some cats are allergic to catnip. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, but but the cat will still play with it because of the uh, the other things that catnip does for cats. 
but now it's getting a dose of an, an allergy every time it uh, reacts with the catnip. So it's no wonder that the drugs work sort of temporarily and it comes right back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. So in the traditional sense, you have an animal that is possibly allergic to their laundry detergent or a perfume or some something like that. It continues to be in their environment. The only option a traditional vet would have would be to suppress the symptom with a cortisone or steroid or something um, like that, Um, and then we would have possibly a secondary problem, which might be an infection. You know, we have the system is is out of balance, out of whack, which makes it more susceptible or vulnerable to a pathogenic problem. Am I understanding this correct so far? That's exactly correct. Right, and then and then we bring them back home and continue to expose them to something that they are actually reacting badly to, and uh, and so we're trapped. It's a catch twenty two loop, you know. So what you're saying is that we can go in, find the offending bit, whatever that is, and wherever it's coming from, neutralize it in the body or in the in the system. We could, in fact, remove it. So don't use Tide. <laughs> use Arvin Hammer or use something without scent or something, you know. Make exactly. the change um, and then also rebuild and rebalance the body-mind so that it no longer needs to overreact uh, to whatever that original thing was. Correct. I think that's brilliant. And then we slowly <clears throat> then wean this animal, assuming it's on the steroids to suppress mm-hmm. the symptoms, we slowly wean the animal off. Mm-hmm. And we start also adding in things that we know are going to be helpful in the healing. Okay. So it's part one is to then, um, let's say it's a chronic diarrhea from food allergy. Mm. So we're going to eliminate the food allergy. That's great. But what about the inflammation and the damage that's been done in the intestinal wall itself? Ah. So normally then we would say, well, the body will fix it. Well, <laughs> hopefully... It does. Maybe, if it can. Maybe, if it can. If it's become too weak, it can't. Or even if it is strong enough, there are things we can use, let's say, herbally or uh, colostrum, for example, in the gut, uh, probiotics. These are going to help the body fix it faster Mm -hmm. and or give it the help that it needs to actually fix the problem. Right, because it may not, in fact, anymore have the resources that it needed. If the if the probiotics in the digestive system are gone, right, or uh, the system is fundamentally broken, it's not working well anymore, then it may not even have what it needs to rebuild. So you have to give that to them to help them and support them to rebuild from the yeah, inside that's a, out. That's yeah. a very important part of, of the therapy as well. Okay, that makes so much sense to me. Thank you. Whew. All right. So the website, again, uh, for our listeners is www.vetnate.com, V-E-T-N-A-E-T, for Nambruda Pad Allergy Elimination Technique, N-A-E-T.com. So vetnaet.com. Great. Thank you so much for that good resource. Okay, so... Now, well, so one more little interesting fact about NAET. So, okay. So let's say your listener wants to go on there <clears throat> and there's no practitioner nearby. Ah, good question. When you have advanced NAET, uh, as I do, 
we can actually do this over the telephone. Okay. In the same uh, same manner that you communicate with animals mm -hmm. that you don't have to physically see or touch. Correct. We can do NAT. Uh, if your listeners want to think of it as, well, you and I right now are connected by an electrical or sound energy. Correct. So if you were to right now, say, put your hand on your pet, and I can stand here, and I'm essentially now connected energetically to your pet, and we could actually, I could muscle test your pet from my office. It's in your home. And I could tell you in, like, five minutes what the, the food allergies are, for example. Mm, that's and I do do that with many people around the country. So yes. if a listener can't find somebody close by, they're welcome to get a hold of me and, and we can do it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Is that. That's really a big problem. You know, when we start looking for a local person who is qualified and, and highly trained and, you know, very good in all of in this, uh, often we can't find them. You know, we we do have an audience all over the world, actually. So, if you're if our listener is is having trouble finding someone local, don't fret about it. Just contact Dr. Mark, <laughs> or go on the list and and find someone you know that you feel drawn to and and give that a try because it really does work. And um, I'm delighted that you offer that. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Okay, so we talked about foods here a moment ago. Is there anything else that you want to uh, uh, mention while we're talking about it? I know. So how do we feed our pets correctly? Should should they get people food? Okay. Um, so <clears throat> let's talk about um, let's what we call maybe grain-free foods or holistic dog foods that are have no preservatives, chemicals, and then all the way up to a raw diet. Okay. So there's sort of, as with everything in life, there's there's good, better, best, ideal. Ideal is you, the human, have plenty of time to be sitting around and making recipes every day for your dog. <laughs> uh, reality says that's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. <clears throat> right. Mm -hmm. So, yes, a, a balanced raw diet, and, and that would create a whole other discussion, but a balanced raw diet would be ideal. I think what is reasonable for most people is to have a base holistic pet food to that when you can, and hopefully more times than less, add whatever it is that you're happening to have that day. So oh. uh, it's breakfast, um, let's throw a raw egg in there. Oh. Uh, let's throw some yogurt or cottage cheese in there, okay. fruit, whatever. You're having dinner, uh, so tonight we're having uh, chicken and green beans and sweet potato. Okay, let's throw that into the dog food as well. Okay. So you're getting then a good mix of fresh, wholesome food. You're not standing there for hours making a prepared food. Okay. Um, and more importantly, it, it's also not good, for example, if let's say that you made a bunch of chicken, green beans, and sweet potato, and that's all you fed your dog for months and months, you're going to be missing many nutrients. Right. So sometimes I'll have people come in and I say, what do they eat? Oh, he eats chicken. What else does he eat? Nothing. He eats chicken. No. Mm -hmm. That's a very deficient diet. 
Yeah. So, you know, people say, well, he's a carnivore, he needs meat. And I say, okay, let's talk about the wild carnivore. Let's say the fox catches a mouse. Mm-hmm. Does he just eat the meat? Mm-hmm. No, he eats the organs, he eats the blood, he eats the whole entire animal. Right. And that's oh, how right. nature gives the fox all of the nutrition that it needs. Yeah. Yeah. And it there doesn't just also, live on mice. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are yeah. also, for people who want to be in sort of the um, better between uh, a prepared diet and the, and the ideal raw food, they do make companies like Bravo, Primal, uh, there's a bunch of them. They make uh, raw diets that are flash frozen. And then basically uh, you take out what looks like a hamburger or looks like a chicken nugget and you thaw that and you feed that to the dog. That has all of the nutrients in it. Ah, okay. Uh, It just gets a little pricey for big dogs. That's the only thing. Yeah, that's true. They eat a lot of food. Okay, thaw and feed. I love that. So that's a great idea uh, to use the flash frozen food. I have a question for you. What about bones? Good question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As as long as they're raw and not cooked, bones are okay. Okay. With one caveat. <clears throat> if your dog is a dog that chews the bone properly, in other words, chews it and grinds it the way they're supposed to in the wild, you'll never have trouble with raw bones. If you have a dog that just inhales its food or its bones, and it gets a large chunk of bone, even if it's raw down there, mm-hmm. you're going to have a problem. But that's mm-hmm. a dog problem, not a bone problem. Yeah, okay. So as long as the dog is chewing it up and uh, cleaning its teeth, which, by the way, is the number one best thing to have a dog to clean its teeth is a large size marrow bone. Okay. Nice and raw is fine. And okay. It really helps clean the teeth. Okay. Speaking of teeth, <laughs> let's talk about teeth for a minute. How about that? Yeah, a big problem in today's pets. Yeah, it is, and increasingly so. I had a vet tell me ages ago, an alternative and traditional vet, that he thought there was a connection between vaccination, over-vaccination, and gum and teeth problems today. I don't know. What do you think is going on? Well, I, th- I think the number one thing is, again, the commercial diets. And, and even we would have to throw in there, a, even the best holistic-based dog food is still really too soft hmm. for those powerful, sharp, pointed teeth to really get any kind of uh, chronic action on that. And by that I mean... Uh, Let's picture again the wild uh, uh, wolf that takes down a deer or whatever. Uh, You know, they're ripping and tearing and using and working those teeth, Mm -hmm. and they're gnawing on the bones, and and they could literally be sitting there trying to tear and rip meat, et cetera, for an hour, let's Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. We put down this this crunchy kibble, Mm -hmm. and it's probably gone in three minutes. If if that... None of it has yep. had to have caused any work for the teeth. Ah. It's, it's too soft. They're not ripping and tearing it, for example. So that's the commercial foods. It's too soft. 
Okay. Uh, and I think <clears throat> also that's why it's important uh, to have some good raw bones or uh, what's really good and available this time of year is a raw turkey neck, ah. raw, raw chicken neck. The the bones that are in there are actually a softer bone. This is why birds can turn their heads almost all the way around. Ah. But if you picture a turkey neck or a chicken neck, mm-hmm. you know, that's some tough, gristly stuff. Well, yeah. it's perfect for a dog's teeth. They're going to chew it, they're going to rip it, they're going to sink that sharp tooth into that tough gristle, and you can almost picture as the tooth is going in and out of that tough gristle mm-hmm. that the tooth is being brushed mm. like you brush your teeth in that up-and-down motion. Ah, so the perfect toothbrush for a dog is actually a turkey neck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Yeah, Not, yeah I love that. Uh, so is that the same for cats? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, uh, okay. Now, cats sometimes uh, they they don't like it cold and raw. So if uh. you you know have a little boiling water, you can just dip that in there for okay. a moment or so, just so it gets some heat in okay. that raw chicken neck and feed it to them that way. Ah, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, because their their prey would in fact be body temperature, not having sitting sat in the fridge for a while. Exactly. Most likely. Yeah, hopefully anyway. <laughs> okay. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's such an important point. Okay, so let's talk about pain medications and steroids for older pets. You uh, what what else can people do for our senior citizens? Well there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um uh, let's start with <clears throat> the number one thing is controlling obesity ah. and or crash dieting your dogs if they are obese oh, is obviously the more weight you carry on those joints, the worse it's going to be. Ah, okay. And unfortunately, if the joints are painful, the dog's not going to walk, so we're not going to try to get the weight off. Uh, it's going to be tough. The point number two, then, is oftentimes there is, this is a real good place for complementary medicine because oftentimes there is a need for pain medication mm-hmm. to control <clears throat> the heavy inflammation, the heavy pain. Okay. Now, to that, we will always add glucosamine chondroitin supplements. We will always add herbal anti-inflammatories and sometimes homeopathic anti-inflammatories to try to minimize the dependence on the drug. Okay. Here in New Jersey, for example, where we have the four seasons, Oftentimes I'll find in the winter it's damp, it's cold. Mm. We have to add drugs because it's the weather that's making the dog worse. Yeah. And when the warm weather is there, we can control them on herbs, glucosamine, and uh, homeopathy. Got it. So, again, it's not that all drugs are bad or evil. It's using them judiciously and trying to find other things besides the drugs that relieve our dependency on the drugs. Okay. So this is also then where um, uh, therapies such as chiropractic, acupuncture, mm-hmm. uh, laser therapy is uh, generally very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you're lucky enough to have a rehab center near you, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these animals need uh, balance work. They need treadmill work. Uh, of course, the, the underwater treadmill helps them to lose weight mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm, so, good. so these are other things we can add in. But here's a place where, especially as the animal gets older and older and older, you know that arthritis is not going to get better and better and better. It's going to get slowly worse and worse and worse. Yeah, Degeneration, yeah. Right. Right. So. Tell us about your rehab center. I know you had a goal of opening a rehabilitation center for animals uh, for severe problems, uh, recovering from surgery, uh, those who have trouble walking and running. What did you do with your dream of having a rehab center? Yeah, that was always a big one for me. Uh, I just uh, My original clinic in Margate was just too small, so we now have the new one. Uh, which is about 10 miles away uh, outside of Atlantic City, uh, where we have a full rehab center there. So we Mm -hmm. have uh, ultrasound and TENS units and E-STEM units and lasers. Wow. But probably the the biggest thing we use is the underwater treadmill. And the reason for the water therapy is twofold. One, water, of course, is buoyant. And so if we fill this up to, let's say, where the dog's chest is kind of underwater an inch or two, mm-hmm. we're, we are taking weight off the joint as the dog steps mm-hmm. down every single time. Mm-hmm. So we're, we are reducing the weight-bearing load of the joint, but we are exercising the joints and the muscles at the same time. Okay. So we're, so we're minimizing wear and tear while we're building strength. I would think that the coolness of the water, and I'm assuming it's not cold, but at least it's cool, would also help bring down inflammation or something like that? Uh, yes, it does. Okay. And, of course, it's much harder to walk through water <clears throat> than it is to sure. walk through air. To resistance. Mm-hmm. So we are actually, with every step, we are exercising uh, or burning more calories or building more strength per step than you would if you took the dog for a walk around the block. Ah, that's a really good point. Okay. Excellent. Oh, I love this. So, but here's a point where, for example, let's say we have an overweight dog that's had a a very painful arthritis. Mm -hmm. We know that the treadmill would be good for him, but he's too painful. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do? My first choice is complementary medicine. Drugs, definitely, the glucosamine, the laser, the chiropractic. So we're going to do four or five things. But here's the case. If this dog is so painful that it can't get into the treadmill and walk, I'm going to add drug therapy, at least initially, to relieve this pain uh, because that's our job, number one, relieve pain, and so that we can get this dog into the treadmill to hopefully then make the entire problem much better mm-hmm. by being able to do the walking in the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Love that. Can you tell us a story about one of your patients? Um, yeah, boy. Um, well, here's the opposite story. We, we kind of talked about the old dog with the arthritis. Mm-hmm. How about the young dog that's developing hip dysplasia? Mm-hmm. So now we have ways of dealing with this because if you catch these dogs 
and they're still growing. So let's take a big dog, um, a Newfoundland, since we're going to talk about Jonna or Jonathan, but we call him Jonna for short. Okay. <clears throat> he first came to see me as around an eight-month-old Newfoundland. Mm. So he still had a lot of growing to do, but he was developing hip dysplasia. Mm. So and Newfoundlands are, are pretty big dogs. So at eight months old, I'm guessing, what was he weighing about? 85 pounds? <laughs> uh, he was about 100 pounds. Then. 100 pounds, okay. Yeah. And only at eight months old. Okay, right. so we get a better picture of, of the difficulty here. Okay, go ahead, continue. Okay. So he okay. came with hip dysplasia on both sides. Now, when we took x-rays, we found that the joint <clears throat> was actually in pretty good shape. So I'm going to simplify this, and let's say there are two types of hip dysplasia. Okay. One is the genetic type where the joint was really, the dog was born with the joint being abnormal. Okay. The second type is actually what mostly happens with these big dogs, where it's a developmental hip dysplasia. So the joint, when you look at it at, say, eight months of age, is still relatively normal in shape. If you don't treat this dog, it will become abnormal in shape. Mm-hmm. Okay. But here's the key. Because the dog is still growing, if we can return the proper alignment and function, then the joint will grow normally around the bone where it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we can actually take a developmental type, not a genetic type, but a developmental hip dysplasia dog, mm-hmm. and with the right therapy, we can actually stop the hip dysplasia from coming. Oh, that's great. Okay. So in this dog, we started with some chiropractic because if you don't do chiropractic, now the, hip, the, the spine is always misaligned in a hip dysplasia developmental ah, dog, always. That's, criti- that's a critical point, isn't it? It is. So we have something and, misaligned that's continued right. into a degenerative state in the joints. Okay. Exactly. Keep, keep going. I want to hear about Jonathan. I'll shut up. So we started him with that. We started him with glucosamine. We did start him with some pain medicine because he was having trouble walking. And we, uh, once we got the pain, took about a week, we got the pain under control. We started him in the treadmill. Now, what happened as the the weeks went on is because he's still growing and putting on weight, the rear legs hurt, so he shifts his weight towards the front legs. And now he's created himself by this abnormal weight bearing, mm-hmm. um, something called osteochondritis desiccans or OCD oh, in the shoulder joint, where the shoulder joint was breaking down as well. Right. It's not designed to carry 100 plus pounds of dog. We need exactly. a hind end, a functioning hind end to do that. Okay, go on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So now we take a look at a dog who has two painful hips and two painful shoulders and you can imagine if this dog was not treated with these kinds of therapies that eventually you'd have a 150 pound dog with four bad joints you Mm. couldn't walk at all and you probably had to put him down by age three or something what else could you do there would be miserable completely no quality of life oh oh how awful and that would be a dog living on drugs and steroids and, of course, would have a very short life. Mm-hmm. Yes. So 
So we started, we added something called prolotherapy, which is where we inject the tendons and we stimulate the tendons to gain strength and actually suck the, in hip dysplasia, because the, the femur or the hind leg bone is loose in there, uh, in the socket of the hip. Mm-hmm. So if you think of tendons and ligaments like rubber bands, <clears throat> once a rubber band gets stretched out, it can't, it has no elasticity, it can't hold mm-hmm. anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens if a hip dysplasia case goes untreated. Uh-huh. These ligaments get stretched worse and worse, which of course makes the joint looser and looser, and what? so the hip dys- the dysplasia effect and the arthritis effect develops because yeah. of that. So when we inject the tendons, the elasticity of the rubber bands comes back, in essence, Ah. and it sucks the hip joint back in. The joint becomes tight now. The pain goes away, and we actually stop the hip dysplasia from developing. Wow. Well, that's awesome. And that's what happened to Jonathan? I hope that's what you're going to tell us. No, that's what happened to John, and uh, we we got all of his joints under control. Now, this took a good six months, Mm. but uh, the owners were very good about bringing him in Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, doing everything that we said. Uh, This was a dog we added a lot of raw meat to his diet because Ah. we're asking him to grow muscle and grow tendon. So we have to give him the food to grow that stuff. Okay. And, of course, the best in that case would be a raw meat. So we added raw meat to uh, holistic dog food. Okay. <clears throat> and Jonna now is uh, eight years old. He was actually just wow. in yesterday. Wow. He comes in about once every two weeks for a, a treadmill mm. because Newfoundlands, uh, as you probably know, as big as they are, you know, eight, nine, ten is old age for these guys. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So now he's starting some old dog muscle wasting muscle loss and so he comes in the treadmill now to uh, basically try to build up his muscles got it i love that oh what a happy story makes me feel good yeah he's a great oh, dog yeah how oh, sweet oh i remember working with a a new fee a number of years ago with this exact problem he had had or she had had hip surgery and um uh a knee replacement you know the um uh, ligaments torn, all that stuff, and um, she was fairly young, and uh, got her got her back functional, and uh, she lived a, a few more years, and did okay, um, and then died, so, but that's what they do, and we love them while they're here, so I know you do stem cell therapy, and I know you do work with cancer, you want to talk about that for a moment? Sure. Uh, the stem cell is, uh, and, and we did not have that at the time when eight years ago when Jonna was in. Uh, had I had that at that time, we would have been injecting his shoulders uh, right away and probably got him better even faster. Okay. But the stem cell uh, has been approved by the FDA for about three years in animals now. And it's approved for the primary purposes of joints, tendons, ligament damage, arthritis, etc. Okay. And a stem cell is a body cell that um, is sitting around sort of waiting to be told what to do. Hmm. Okay. So, for example, let's say that uh, you, uh, you 
have a partially torn ligament. Okay. Okay. So the brain, so the knee signals the brain says, "Hey, uh, I got a partially torn ligament here." Mm-hmm. The brain says, "Okay, let me send out all these signals to bring the healing blood, the anti-inflammatory cells, and stem cells into this area so we can heal up this partially torn tendon." Hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> what happens then as we age? The body's ability to repair itself goes down. Fortunately, there's a great source of stem cells readily available to every animal, which is in their fat. Oh, wow. And so what we do is we do a surgical procedure. We remove uh, a certain amount of fat. We then process the stem cells. It takes like three to four hours and all these complicated steps to get the stem cells. Okay. And um, so the animal comes in in the morning, say 9 mm-hmm. o'clock. Mm-hmm. We do the surgery. By 10 o'clock, the animal's in recovery. Mm-hmm. By probably 1, 2 o'clock, we have the stem cells. We mm-hmm. then inject the animal while he's still in the hospital, and he goes home by 5 o'clock, and the whole procedure's done. Wow. And so what would happen next? So let's say an animal did that, and then what would uh, what would we see or what would happen? Okay, so you remember, let's talk about that torn tendon. Mm-hmm. The body is sitting there sending the signals out, but nobody's listening. Okay. So we inject the stem cells, and the stem cells go in there, and they say, okay, what are we supposed to do? And then they say, oh, here's a signal from the brain that says you got to go fix this tendon and grow a new tendon. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's a great simplification, but that's what they do. And they go oh. and heal the tendon and uh it grows new tendon. It's like magic. It really oh, is amazing. Wow. Wow. How cool. I love it that. It is really cool. I love that. Ah, cool. Okay, so cancer. Is this connected to cancer? Does it help at all there? Or what do you do for alternative cancer therapy? Um, well, uh, you know, that's a good question, and that's actually the one place that you would not ah. use stem cells. Okay. Because a cancer is something growing in the body. That is a negative, but it's fooling the body, it's hiding, and it's actually telling the brain, uh, hey, I'm trying to grow over here. I need you to send me some signals to grow more blood vessels so I can get bigger. Mm -hmm. And the brain says, okay, looks like a normal signal to me, Mm. so I'm going to send you that information. Wow. Now the cancer says, thank you very much, I fooled you. And I'm going to grow bigger now. Ah. So you can imagine if we put stem cells in there, the stem cells are going to pick up the normal signal from the brain mm-hmm. and say, "Yeah, go go build some new blood vessels and help this cancer grow." Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the place we would not use stem cells. Got it. Okay, that's okay. really clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. So cancer, boy, you know this is a failure of the immune system to recognize an abnormal cell. We we grow abnormal cells every day in our body. And there is an immune system, a part of the immune system that patrols our body and says, for example, hey, there's a liver cell that was uh, supposed to replace a, a dying cell because <clears throat> we create new cells all the time. So let's call it we have... Um, 
we have baby liver cells and we have adult liver cells and we have senior citizen liver cells. <laughs> so as the, liver, the senior citizens die off, the baby cells come in and replace them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when you're making these billions of baby cells every day in your skin and your hair and your everywhere, mm-hmm. it's impossible to think that day after day and year after year that that goes on without a mistake. Mm. It would be the same thing as if you're manufacturing uh, anything in the, you know, you're manufacturing cars. Well, if it was all about just the machine, then you should have a perfect car every time. Well, we know that that doesn't happen. Something breaks down and you've got to retool and all that. So the same thing happens in the body. So an abnormal cell is formed, but fortunately we have an immune system that patrols the body and says, hey, that's a bad one, go kill that. Mm -hmm. And the body does. So for some reason, and no one knows why, when a cancer cell forms, the body says, that looks like a normal cell to me, leave it alone. Mm. And slowly that cell reproduces and reproduces, and then cancer, as it develops into a true tumor, has all kinds of ways to hide itself from the body. Ah. And we understand some of those, and we don't understand most of those. Mm. So, once once a cancer grows, um, we all understand it grows from a single cell, then it gets to be the size of a pea, then a marble, then an egg, then an apple, then an orange. Well, you don't find it, perhaps, until it's the size of an orange. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're already weeks or maybe months behind in trying to fight this cancer. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So that's a really big point. And it's a big point because what I'm going to say here is another great place for complementary medicine. Because the faster we can kill this tumor or shrink it or hopefully surgically remove it, Mm -hmm. the better off we are. Mm -hmm. So what does that the fastest? So the tumor shows up, we're in crisis medicine, like we talked about in the very first couple minutes. Yes. All right? So. Surgery to remove it, absolutely, if it's possible. Second thing is, if it is a tumor that does respond to chemotherapy, in my opinion, we're in crisis medicine, we're going to do chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, we're going to theorize what's going on in the body. Well, what's going on in the body is the immune system failed to find the bad cell. Mm-hmm. Why did it do that? Well, we don't, there has to be a defect there. We don't know why, but we know that there are certain alternative therapies that can help turn on this anti-cancer immune system. Ah, okay. So different homeopathic remedies are available for different types of tumors. Okay. Uh, Chinese herbs work very helpful for these types of tumors, and there are different herbs for different types of tumors. Okay. We will actually use um, NAET. Ah, oh. And why is that? What's the connection? So the connection there is we have an immune system that is basically asleep, so it's Ah. a negative to the body. We don't know why it was asleep, but we'll always find that energetically it is asleep and we can actually turn it back on Ah. with NAET. Got it. 
Okay. Okay. And there are also um, certain herbs that are truly, let's call it herbal chemotherapy, where we know um, there's an herb which if we have tumors, let's say, that are on the outside, we can't cut it out for some reason, Uh, we can't close the skin after we cut it out, we can put this herbal salve on the surface of the tumor, and it will literally eat it away. Wow. So Ooh. here's a way of dealing with a cancer um, alternatively. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. We also use ozone therapy, for example. If mm. we can get a needle into the tumor, okay, we can flood it with ozone. Uh, so the ozone, when we, we make <clears throat> ozone from medical-grade oxygen, we then put it in a syringe as a gas, and we inject it into the tumor. Ozone is very, very toxic to cancer cells, and mm-hmm. it will kill cancer cells. Wow. The interesting sort of good byproduct is um, ozone is the molecule O3. O2 is oxygen. Mm-hmm. So when you put it in the body, O3 breaks down into O2, oxygen, and O1, which is what's called a free radical. And that is what kills, uh, actually, think of it as like a little bullet, and it goes in and shoots the cancer cells. Wow. But the other interesting thing is that cancer is grows in a very low oxygen environment. Mm-hmm. So the actual oxygen is also toxic to the cancer cell. Okay. But, of course, it's very nourishing to the cells that are right next to the cancer cell. Ah. So we're getting two ways of killing the cancer, and we're actually then flooding the area with oxygen so that the normal cells uh, can be a little bit healthier and, and try to help fight off the cancer. Wow. That's that just opens up a whole new world. I love it. Alternative therapy. So for our listeners who are struggling with or know people who are struggling with cancer, these are really important things to know. Um they are. And I also work with cancer patients around the country on the phone. Okay. Um uh, if if their doctor is willing to work with me because I need certain blood tests, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but if that doctor is willing and he can do the chemo, if it appears that chemo will complement our mm-hmm. therapy, mm-hmm. and then I will do the alternative medicine. I'll send everything out to the people what they need, and um, uh, we can work together. So, okay. again, if you can't find an alternative cancer practitioner, which there are very few of us, Okay. Uh, don't despair. You can find us on the phone, on the web, and uh, okay. we we can do that long distance as well. Oh, I'm so excited. This is such great, great information. Thank you for sharing it. So you welcome. know what we haven't given people is how do they find you. I apologize for that. Let's give them your website and your contact information. Uh, on the web, it's NewkirkFamilyVeterinarians.com. And uh, there's the whole thing. We have a traditional practice, too, but there's a holistic site that uh, then they click on the holistic site. And they can read about NAT and ozone and a lot of things that we've talked about. Okay. And uh, then to directly contact me, it's mnuke, 
M-N-E-W-K, at AOL. M-N-E-W-K at AOL.com. Right. That's your email. And then it's Newkirk Family Vet Veterinarian. Veterinarians.com. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been wonderful. Do you have any uh, books you could recommend people to read or um, anything else? Well, a really good book for someone, if you have a listener who's out there and saying, you know, gosh, I really didn't understand much of that, but I'd I'd like to read about or get started, uh, you know, what is homeopathy, for example. Uh, it's a really good book. It's called The Nature of Animal Healing. Okay. By Dr. Martin Goldstein. Ah, Dr. Marty Goldstein. Excellent. Yeah. Um, he's he's very interesting. Um you're a, a friend and mentor, I think, with him. Yes, he's been my mentor for many years and uh, has I'm taught so me glad. tons of stuff. That's awesome. Okay, so <clears throat> The Nature of Animal Healing by Dr. Martin Goldstein. It's a great book, I know, uh, to get started with. Okay, thank you, Dr. Mark. You've been wonderful. I've so enjoyed talking with you. This is very well, important you. information. Is there anything you want to leave us with today? Have we covered it all? <laughs> Uh, gosh, you know, there's so much more. Hopefully we'll do another uh, show at some time. Love to. But, um, yeah, I could talk all day about this stuff. So I'm glad, and we all need to hear it. This is great information. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful day, and let's do it again. Well, thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valhart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valhart.com to apply for a complimentary happy animal assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life. Mm -hmm.